everybody. It's Scott Wood here on Scott Wood's One Man Wolfpack. I'd like to welcome everybody, uh, Wolfpack Nation. We have a special guest with us today, All-American, over 1,000 assists, over 1,400 points. Uh, I call him the mayor of Raleigh. Uh, everything that happens in Raleigh comes through this guy right here. So <laughs> I'd like to welcome Chris Corciani. I appreciate you being on the show, uh, especially for our first ever episode. So thanks for being here. Glad to be here, Scott. I love that introduction. I'll tell you, that was, I haven't had that much uh, praise in years. Yeah, so I, I have a story. I'm sure I'll tell it later on exactly why he's the mayor, but I'll, I'll, I'll definitely share that later on. But uh, <laughs> first, I'd also like to thank the Field of 68 Media Network for kind of putting all this together. Uh, they've been tremendous help with me. I've never done a podcast or anything like that, so they've kind of helped me and guided me through this process. So I'd like to give them a thank you, and I know – uh, you can like, share, subscribe, do all those things as well. So uh, we'll kind of get right into it. Uh, I got a couple questions for you. And at the end, uh, we'll come back through uh, on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram. I had uh, a couple questions from a couple fans. So we'll, we'll ask those at the end. So kind of the first thing is let's kind of start with Chris Corciani. We kind of know the basketball player. What has Chris Corciani been up to uh, recently and the things that he's doing now? Um, just staying busy. I got four kids. So, uh, obviously they're a big part of my life and, um, um, working, you know, I own a couple different businesses and that occupies a lot of my time. Um, I'm not a big golfer or tennis player. I, I like boating. Um, so I love being on the water. Um, you know, that's kind of my hobbies. Obviously I love NC state athletics. Um, don't, don't miss a basketball game, a football game, uh, pre-COVID, love going to wrestling and girls basketball, uh, volleyball, whatever it is. I'm just a huge NC State uh, supporter. And, you know, being so close living in Raleigh has, has really opened up that opportunity for me. A lot of people go to school uh, one place and move back. And I was fortunate enough to land here. And, um, you know, one of the greatest decisions I ever made uh, was leaving Miami, Florida and, and going north to, to Raleigh and, and attended NC State University. I'm so thankful, uh, you know, every day, you know, the fact that I was able to get an education here and, um, you know, be a, be a part of a, a wonderful athletic program and academic institution. Yeah, and I think that's one of the nice things and I love about NC State is I feel like all the athletes that have came through here, you know, have not necessarily been from Raleigh or even North Carolina and just have made this place a home and it just feels natural to them to kind of move away from their original hometown and, and call Raleigh a home, which is one of the things that I love about NC State. So that's one thing. You grew up in Miami. So how did you, from being a Miami kid, end up at NC State? Well, you know, I was uh, in high school in the late 80s and there wasn't, uh, you know, a ton of you know, the way to be recruited was going to camps. And uh, when I was in uh, sophomore, junior, went to a number of different camps and started being recruited. And, you know, there weren't a lot of games on TV back then either. And the ACC was always on, the Big East was always on. And, um, you know, following the ACC, I knew I wanted to play in that conference. And when NC State started recruiting me, I had uh, – immediate interest. They were coming off the 83 national championship and uh, obviously coach Fabiano had a huge part of that. Um, but it really came down to, to 
Duke, Virginia, and NC State. I mean, if you really think about that, it was Coach K at Duke, Terry Holland at Virginia, and Jimmy V at NC State. So those three are all legendary coaches. And, um, you know, I was really happy to be able to make the decision to, to go to NC State. I love the people. I love the, uh, you know, the hardworking atmosphere. I thought it was a place that I could really fit in. My kids often joke with me and they said, Dad, how could you ever say no to Coach K? <laughs> and, um, and I try to tell my kids, you know, I'm, I was, this is the late 80s. Coach K was really just getting going. So he didn't have all those national championships. And Coach K was not the way we look at Coach K now back in the late 80s. Um, but, yeah, it was just a tremendous opportunity to, to be recruited by a number of schools. And, and again, the, the greatest decision that I've ever made as, as a person was going to NC State. It's um, given me all kind of opportunities. And, you know, the four years, as you know, it's the, the greatest four years of your life. And, you know, you get a great education. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be here in Raleigh. And, you know, I'm so happy my roots are here. Yeah, and I think that's uh, – so when I was growing up and I was younger, I, w I had Duke all over. I had a Duke hat, Duke everything. So it's probably a blessing that Coach K didn't call me and, and start recruiting me because then I probably would have never even sniffed out NC State. So <laughs> it's, it's hard to turn down some Duke blue now. Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that didn't happen because I enjoyed <laughs> watching that, uh, that three ball rain through the net. So I'm happy that uh, Coach K didn't go calling up there. Yeah, it worked out great. Uh, so this is one of the stories you told me the last time we were together. And um, I kind of found it, you know, one, funny and two, interesting. So when you took your official visit, you, you said that, you know, you had a guy take you on official visit who just happened that day to come in to the place we were eating lunch, which was Clues. So can you kind of give a brief story? Because anybody that knows NC State knows this guy. They know he does everything for student athletes. He's got his handprint on everything. So just, just kind of give that story. Yeah, it's, it, it was funny. And Scott, you know, when you go on recruiting visits, um, you know, most of the time you're, the, the other players are taking you around and you're going to different parties and hanging out with the guys. When I was at NC State, um, you know, I, I had this guy that was the head of the football recruiting. Real super nice guy. I didn't know him from, from Adam and uh, took me around, showed me a bunch of buildings. We went to the football game together, and um, NC State was playing uh, South Carolina. And we ended up going up in, in Coach V's box, and we're watching the game. And, um, you know, at the very end, NC State throws a Hail Mary pass and, and wins uh, in the last second. And, and when they score, when NC State scores, you know, I turned and I said, we won, we won. And Coach B said, I knew I had him then. You know, he was, he was part of us. But the guy that was taking me around, and, and NC State people know this name, it was Bobby Purcell, who later on became, um, you know, the head of the Wolfpack Club. And Bobby is, if there's a guy that loves NC State, that is first class, uh, has given his life, and just the nicest, most down-to-earth person in the world. And uh, when Scott... Scott and I were eating, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago at Clues Coney Island. Who walks in? But it was Bobby Purcell. But, um, yeah, that was just a, 
uh, amazing time. So every time I see him, I thank him. Actually paid for his lunch at Clues because I said, I owe you everything for such a wonderful recruiting visit. Um, just a, a true legend who recently retired. Um, and there's so many student athletes that need to be thankful for Bobby's work and, and the work, work of the Wolfpack Club. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things. Too. I mean, everybody knows Bobby, but the work that he's put in and uh, I know he finally can can kind of relax a little bit, but I know he's not gonna. He's still gonna be involved. He's he's single handedly uh, has an imprint on every student athlete that's came in there, and uh, it's like you said, we just all need to be thankful for him. Yeah, you know, Scott, it's amazing when when I was playing um, and in school, you, you don't realize even where the scholarship comes from, and I didn't realize who was paying for that scholarship until I got out of school and um, they started calling on me to give money. And I was like, what am I giving? Yep. Well, it's the same thing that, that you had, you know, to pay for all these scholarships. So it's, it, it, it's a great work that, that the Wolfpack Club does. And, and obviously Bobby spearheaded it for, gosh, I mean, 30 some years, just a, you know, a true legend. Yeah, special thanks to him for sure. So you're part of probably the most famous duo at NC State, arguably, I'm sure there's someone will say that there might be a duo up there. So Fire and Ice, can you just touch on what made that connection work so well? You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, we came in as freshmen and um, a lot of people have heard this story, but um, we ended up getting in a, in a big fight in Carmichael uh, our first week on campus. And it was one of those fights that was, you know, not just a, a couple of blows, it was going on for 30, 45 seconds. And um, Chucky Brown stepped in and, and, and somebody punched Chucky and, you know, it ended up getting really bad. Well, it wasn't just one round, it went two rounds, it went three rounds. And, and you know, that evening at, at uh, study hall, Coach B called us in and just ripped us a new one and just got all over us. and. Um, you know, it was a very interesting relationship because where it ended was much better than where it first started. And, you know, the first year we were, we were competing for, for minutes. Vinny Donegra was uh, in the backcourt and, um, you know, Rodney and I, I didn't know if Rodney was a point guard, a shooting guard. I didn't know what he was. He was a heck of a player. So we were both very competitive. And um, after our, our freshman year, uh, we played uh, side by side the whole way. And it was one of those relationships where I truly knew where he was at all times on the court. You know, if it was a fast break, you know, I knew that he was going to kind of, you know, stay out on the perimeter, much, much like yourself. And, um, you know, it, it's something that you, you don't, it just happens. You, you end up having a, a very unique knack with someone. And he was so confident. I mean, Rodney was kind of guy that, he could miss two or three shots and never lose his confidence. The next one, uh, he knew was going down, but it was a, a special relationship. And having an opportunity to play with a guy your freshman year, sophomore year, junior and senior, it doesn't happen all yeah. the time. And I was really happy um, going after the, his junior year. He thought about leaving early because, you know, that started to become more of a fad back then. Um, and I was so happy he came back for his senior year. He ended up um, breaking David Thompson's scoring record at NC State, even though David, you know, for the record, only played three years. Yeah. Um, but, but Rodney was just a tremendous scorer, uh, you know, just a, a, a very underrated competitor. You know, people saw the way he was very calm, cool, 
but but just wanted to win and, and just a fierce competitor. Yeah, and I think that's the nice thing, especially with guys that kind of come in your class. Um, for me, you know, I had Richard, um, Lorenzo. You just have guys that push you to be better. And, and you know, it's kind of like you said, it's almost kind of like a competition and you kind of get into it with each other, even though you're teammates. But at the same time, that's you trying to prove yourself and they're trying to prove themselves. And it kind of makes you take your game to another level and them as well. So you always try to kind of outdo each other. But then once you finally get to the court, it's like, hey, we don't have to go at each other and practice anymore. Now we're, we're trying to take on somebody else. Exactly. That, that year, you know, I don't know what year it was, maybe your junior year when it was Scott or when it was uh, uh, Richard Howell and Lorenzo. At the end of the year, the chemistry that your team had, I really thought that y'all could beat anyone on any given night. Now, throughout the year, you had some ups and downs, but when you got in the tournament, the chemistry was so special. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, y'all y'all didn't go as far as we had hoped, but you had a you had a tremendous run that one year to to the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, and it's kind of like you said, just that bond that you kind of create with playing with them so much in practice, and it finally meshes. And once it meshes, it just feels like you can kind of take on anybody. Yeah. So you had Valvano for three years, and then you kind of had something else happen, correct? Yes. Can you just kind of touch on because? I was kind of in a similar boat with you where I had Sydney Lowe. And I mean, Sydney was my guy. I told Debbie Yao, I had a, this was a few months back when she told uh, Coach Lowe that he wasn't coming back, I was in tears. So uh, just when you get attached to someone and that they recruited you and you really feel like, like it's part of your family and a coaching change or something like that happens, it's difficult. Can you kind of touch on that um, and kind of what kind of transition that was for you? It was very difficult. As you mentioned, you know, you mentioned tears. I was, I was curious, you know, I was very disappointed with the way coach Valvano was treated at the very end. They didn't wait to get all the facts. They made decisions without hearing everything. And, and I think if they would have kind of let the dust settle, uh, he would have never been fired. But um, so I was disappointed. I actually opened up my recruitment and uh, I had one, one year left and I would have had to sit out. And um, so I opened up my recruitment. I had a number of schools coming in and I remember there used to be a, a pizza hut on Western Boulevard and uh, Coach V called me to lunch one day and he said, what are you doing? He said, you need to stay at NC State. You're a Wolfpacker, you got one more year left don't do this for me. I'm going to be fine. He said, you need to stay here. And, and uh, so he kind of whipped me into shape. And, and I was so fortunate to have Les Robinson. Les Robinson came uh, my senior year. Could not have asked for, for a better man, a better coach. Uh, basically sat Rodney and I down. And he said, listen, you know, this is your senior year. You guys have earned a right to really enjoy it. I want to make it the best for y'all. Um, and we had a wonderful year. It was so much fun. And, and I would have never thought that having Coach V for three years that I would ever enjoy a coach um, as no matter who it was. But Les was just uh, made the transition very easy. And, uh, you know, to this day, I, I, I love Coach uh, Robinson. I saw him about two or three months ago down in Charleston, had lunch with him, just just a, I mean, just a great guy, but he really made 
the transition of something that was so negative, you turned it into a positive. It's, it's funny you kind of said that because when, when that happened it, with me and Coach Lowley, and I, I, I did the same thing. I kind of sat there and was like, you know, what's, what, what's my next step? And Monty Tao, who was the assistant coach at the time, kind of did the same thing with me. He just said, you know, you, you've established yourself here. You started, you know, at the time I started every game of my career. Um, and, you know, you just have all those bonds that you create. And it doesn't even necessarily with, you know, basketball team, just the students and the friends you've made and the family that you've made at state. It's just hard, you know, to, to make that step to transfer someone else because, you, you know, this place really does suck you in and they embrace you. So no, no doubt. But you, you mentioned my guy, Monty Tao. I love Monty Tao. Monty recruited me when I was in high school. He was at the University of Florida and uh, was at every game. But Florida wasn't at the level they are now. Um, you know, basketball at Florida was a big time football school. And, and they just weren't at that level. And I ended up, you know, obviously not going there. But Monty ended up coaching me um, in, in a league called the GBA. And Monty was the head coach. We had Lorenzo Charles, and we had Quinn Snyder, and Chuck Nevitt, who went to NC State, Ranzino Smith, that went to uh, Carolina. It was uh, we had a ball. It was so much fun. But uh, Monty's just a great guy, a true legend at NC State. Now, he's definitely one of the ones that, if I can, I'd love to get him on the show. I have a great story about him. I won't share it now, but we <laughs> we went to the Wolfpack Club and played the uh, nine. I think it's a nine-hole par three course and. He brought just his putter, and I brought my entire bag, and it is—it's a great story. So he's—you know—he's one of those guys that you could pick someone to play golf with. Monty would Monty would be a lot of number one picks in people's sports, and just fun. I played golf with him at Lonnie Pool once, and he never—he was in the cart with me, and, and and I thought that he was like upset with me because he never rode with me. He would always walk in the woods all the way up looking for golf balls. <laughs> and he's just a very unique human being, and I, I love him to death. Yeah, he's one of the he's one of the greats for sure. So, do you have a a memory? So I kind of look back. For me, it's my senior year. I said, you know, I just wish we were preseason six. We, you know, we brought in Rodney, T.J. Warren, big time recruits. And for me, I kind of wish I would have just. There was a moment in the season where we started running twenty twos. We were having people late for practice. I wish I would have just stepped up as a leader and kind of spoke up being a senior. And it's the one moment I wish I could just get back to try and turn the season around. Do you have any of those memories or something that, you know, you look back on and you're just like, you know, if I could have just tweaked this just a little bit, I would have. And it doesn't even have to be college. Maybe it was, you know, while you were a pro. Yeah, um, you know, when I look back at um, my collegiate career, you know, obviously, you know, I wish I made more shots and had less turnovers and th those type of things. But, you know, the memories that I had and, and the experiences and, and playing in some of, you know, the, the great old gyms, um, you know, before they became so big. I mean, the Cole Fieldhouse and, um, you know, a lot, a lot of the places were just smaller, not so, so big. They were intimate. I mean, th those times I, I, I don't regret at all. You know, I, I wish... Um, you know, that, that we would have gone further. You know, we, we went to the tournament. We got to the Sweet 16, um, you know, one year. And uh, 
I just wish we could have gone deeper into the tournament, um, you know, and had something really to show, show for it. You know, I think NC State, you know, there's been a, a long drought that we're still waiting for some championships, and, and I know they're coming soon. But, um, you know, so one regret would have been to, to, to not hang a banner. And, uh, you know, winning, winning was everything. And, and, you know, we had some really good teams that were competitive, but, you know, we, we never got that elusive championship. And it's, as you know, it's, it's hard. You can be good, but you also have to be lucky. And, um, you know, we didn't quite get where I wish we would have gotten. Yeah, I didn't sound understandable. I know, looking back, that's just the one thing I can kind of remember. And I know as a player, everybody kind of has something in their mind that they always remember the turnovers, the losses, you know, they, they never really think about, Oh, you know, you did so many things good, but there's always that thing that you kind of wish you could maybe get back and just have been a little bit better. Well, well, let me ask you what, what, when you talk about, you know, maybe a little bit of dissension on the team that you had, what, what is it that you would have done that, that you think could have kind of helped that you didn't do? See, I think I just would have vocally just been a better leader. And, and, you know, I was very talkative, you know, I always got the huddles together uh, during timeouts. Um, but I just, I wish I would have spoken up just a little bit more, you know, kind of talked with the freshmen and tried to mesh them as best as I could with, you know, the upperclassmen. Um, you know, obviously Lorenzo, CJ were having, you know, good years, you know, just talking to them, maybe telling them, hey, we've got NBA on the backside. Let's, you know, kind of focus here. And I think that's one of the reasons my junior year was just so good. We had CJ Leslie not C.J. Leslie, uh, C.J. Williams, C.J. Leslie, Alex Johnson. Uh, we had seniors that were, you know, very, very unselfish. And I think for my senior year to have been that successful, I think that's what we needed. We needed to understand, you know, there's going to have to be sacrifices. And at the end of the day, us uh, moving up in the tournament is going to boost everybody's stock. Yeah. And that's a hard thing, you know, to tell somebody, hey, average 10 points and go to the final four, you're going to get a lot more looks from a NBA GM than, you know, averaging 18 and not making the tournament or getting kicked out the first round. So, no, no, no doubt. But, but you, know, you mentioned CJ Williams. I mean, to me, he's the kind of guy that you have to have on any team to win a championship. And, and I was fortunate enough to play with a guy named Brian Howard. To me, he's the most underrated. NC State basketball player. He did it all. He started three years. If you got beat on defense, he was always there. You know, he might not get the rebound, but he would tip it to someone. Yeah. He, he was the glue guy that really kept everybody together. And, and he was a great teammate that all he wanted to do, much like CJ Williams, they just wanted to win. And he went on, played in the NBA a few years, went overseas, had a great career. But to me, you've got to have guys like that that really want to put the team first. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. And to me, C.J. Williams, Brian Howard, who I played with, those are the type of guys that you got to got to have talent, obviously. But yeah. you get some of those glue guys, it, it, it really helps. Yeah, and that's, I was his roommate for, for every year we were there. He was one year older than me. And the kid never complained at all. It, it, it was funny because he, you know – my freshman year, he didn't start. Uh, my sophomore year, he didn't start. He, he probably legitimately could have had every excuse to, you know, to, to raise a little hell and to get upset because, you know, he, just, he deserved minutes, but he never did it. And he, he stuck in there. And it's those kind of guys that, 
you know, now all of a sudden he's getting this opportunity and he just meshes the team almost perfectly. So that's what I'm, and then he had uh and, and again I know a couple years ago he had a little cup of coffee in the NBA and was playing yep. and was playing I mean great. Uh, not sure where he is now, but man, I know I was following him a couple years ago. He, he hit a couple game winners at the end, and um, you know, but, but yeah, again, one of those guys that every team would love to have on, on, on you know, on the squad. Yep, signed a contract with the Clippers. I know he's he's grinding it still, trying to trying to stick around. So, I mean, when guys like that that put in the hard work, you know, they get rewarded, and I'm I'm happy to see it for him. That's for sure. Absolutely. So, all right, so. I have to ask because this is actually the question my mother brought up. And she, <laughs> I, want the, I want the dirty, dirty information. So the night with Googs and Carl Hess, obviously, you know, you've made your statements. I, I don't necessarily care about what was said. I care more about what happened afterwards. So I wanted to know, did you like put on a mustache and go three rows up and finish watching the game? Or did you and Googie just say, screw it, we're just gonna go to the bar or something? Scott, first of all, it's funny is, and I joke about this, but I said, the thing I'm most known for, I played four years, I'm most known for getting thrown out of the game <laughs> against Florida State when you were playing. But um, it, it was funny because we, we truly were sarcastic. We, we were just there on the front row. We were peppering them and having a good time. And I remember one time I said, Lorenzo Brown can't dribble with two hands on his waist. And he turned around and looked at me and I said, Carl, you hear me, just make the right call. And we were just going back and forth. There was a time that you got uh, fouled on a three-pointer and Goose yelled, he got fouled. And next time down, you shot again. And they called the foul and Goose yelled, about time. And that was right when, when Hess said, oh, about time we throw these guys out. But we ended up getting escorted out right into uh, where, where, you know, toward the locker room. Yeah. And um, we ended up just kind of sitting there and, you know, waiting for the game to end. But it was, um, you know, it, it was crazy how that all turned out and, you know, everything that followed. And a couple of nights later, they're honoring us at halftime of uh, the Carolina game, <laughs> our, our 1989 team. But, uh, yeah, it was a, a very interesting time. And, and, and I'll tell you, the, the, the good part of that story is two years later, Carl Hess, uh, his son was a great pitcher and was at Elliott Avent's um, – you know, special camp. And Elliot said, he said, Chris Hess is at my camp. I was just talking to him. You mind if I, he wants to call you. So Carl ended up picking up the phone and calling me. And, um, you know, I was, you know, very nice. I was a little disappointed. I said, Carl, I'd you know, like to know, you know, what we did wrong. Why, why did we get thrown out? And he never, never really gave us an answer, didn't apologize. But, but I said, you know, the fact that you picked up the phone, means a lot to me. And he said, I'm getting ready to call Tom here in a few minutes. And, and I said, great. But, but we had a nice conversation. He never said I shouldn't have done it or anything like that. But it was, to me, it was nice. So I called Tom right away. I said, Tom, you're not going to believe it. You're going to get a call from Hess here. He said, what? I'd love to talk to him. I was like, well, you know, be nice. You know, no, he was, I'm not being a, so about two minutes after I told Tom that Carl was going to call, Tom called me back. I said, how'd the call go? It didn't go good. I asked him, 
if you're not going to apologize, I'm not talking to you. So my call was much longer with Carl than, than uh, the call with uh, Googs. So it's safe to say, I think that it might have been Googs that got you kicked out that night. I'm all in on that story, Scott. I like that. You know, we, we can both agree on that. All right. So you leave college and you turn pro. Um, you know, I did it for eight years. You did it for a long time. We've had multiple conversations, you know, playing overseas. Uh, I believe you played uh, in Istanbul, uh, which is a big EuroLeague team now, the biggest of the big. You played for Labral Cusho, which is a Spanish team, EuroLeague, biggest of big. Just talk briefly, because, you know, a lot of people don't get the European experience. Kind of talk, um, one, you know, the European experience, and as well as, you know, you had NBA experience as well. Talk the main differences between that and kind of, you know, your transition from college to being a pro. You know, I think at every level, you know, whether it's middle school to, to high school, high school to college, college to NBA or, or overseas, the, the game speeds up. Everything's really fast. And until it slows down, you can't get a hold of it. But um, it, it was a great experience. You know, I played two years with Orlando Magic and, and one year with the Boston Celtics, and that was fabulous. Um, you know, I had an opportunity in my second year with Orlando with Shaquille O'Neal's rookie year. So just the hoopla and all the excitement uh, with him being on the team. And then I played uh, a year with the Celtics and, and Robert Parrish uh, was a part of that team. Best teammate I ever had would never allow any negativity in the locker room. He said, if you're complaining about playing time or your contract, take that elsewhere. Um, you know, we're going to only have positive vibes in the locker room. Best teammate I've ever had. And, and then I went overseas, and, and I didn't know what to expect, much like a lot of players going over there. And the first place I went was Istanbul, Turkey, and um, played one year there, played one year in Germany, three in Spain, and three in Italy. And um, just very different, as you know. Um, you know, soccer is – obviously the, the biggest sport and, and you're not playing every day. I think one of the biggest kind of things that I don't realize that the people here realize is that, you know, you're, you're only playing a game or two a week, but you're practicing twice a day and they're just running you into the ground. And, you know, if you get a Yugoslavian coach, you're in trouble. And, and uh, unfortunately for me, I had way too many Yugoslavian coaches and great coaches, but, they, they think that they, you need to do plyometrics and do sprints, you know, like the day before a game. And you're laughing because you know that. So <laughs> I'm laughing because I had a couple, but then the last one, my last year, finally put me over the edge. So that's why I'm, I'm back in the real world because I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> they, 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 cut, they cut a lot of basketball players' careers short, just all the work they do. And I had a coach in, in Spain, and we ended up winning the Spanish championship. And, and to this day, he, he was the best coach I ever had. His name was Dusko Janovic, and just a tremendous coach. He's a legend in Europe. But we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things because he worked us two-a-days every day. We went 35 days without a day off. And, you know, he, he, we, we would lose a game and he would say, you're, you're tired. And I said, we're not tired. Our, our legs are dead. 
you know, we got no legs. We're exhausted. But uh, as far as a, you know, a tactical coach, and you know, you would appreciate this because you ran that that baseline play. Uh, you know, your four years, the the picks that the bigs would set, it they were so precise. I mean, this guy when he would break down film, and like I said, the best coach I ever had, and, and uh, didn't like the way he went about things, but he, he he was good. Yeah, and it's I mean, it is a grind, and I think that's a lot of like reasons that people don't realize over there is it it wears you out. It's not like you know training camp at Golden State that I had and it was like a hour and 10 minute practice and it was just over. It's you come in in the morning, you're going to do two hours. You come in in the afternoon, you're going to do two hours. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's just it's also, a grind. It's also the lifestyle. I mean, we're, we're accustomed to a certain lifestyle here in the United States. So you're, you're having to adapt to another culture, another language. It's, it's just different. So you're not only getting acclimated to a different style of basketball and, and, and your teammates um, speaking a different language, it's a culture that you're also getting adapted to. And, and I was fortunate enough to be in some cities that I tried to get out there and I tried to learn the language and I, you know, tried to kind of use it as an opportunity to make some money, but also use it as an opportunity that I didn't know if I was ever going to get back to those countries so um you know i took advantage of it and then i know a lot of americans that go over there they take advantage of it as well yeah it was definitely a lot of fun you know i i don't regret any of it for sure but it is it is a grind and you miss out on a lot of things back home when you're over there for 10 months you know i missed my sisters had a baby two babies when i was over there so it's just mm -hmm. a bunch of little things that you know that you miss out on but at the same time you get to follow your dream. You get to make a little bit of change and put it in your pocket. So uh, definitely a different experience, but definitely a good one as well. Absolutely. All right. So what is your craziest moment that you had while you were at the school? Whether it being a, a fan talking to you, whether it be, you know, just something completely unbasketball related, anything that comes to your mind first that you're like, Looking back on that, that was pretty crazy. I can tell you, I was I was real happy. I was in the era before cell phones and video quarters, so <laughs> we, we we did some crazy things. I can tell you, we had a a party after a win, and and, and again, it, it, you know, I, I look back on a lot of this and I go, how did how did anyone even know where to go because there were no cell phones? But we, I had this uh, old Buick. And it had dents all in the side of it, and it, and it, it ran. It got me kind of, uh, you know, to class and back to class, but it just, I could never take it out of, out of Raleigh. It just wouldn't go. It was old. And uh, we, we had a big win, and we were down in, in, uh, off of Avent Ferry at a party. Mm -hmm. And um, I was hanging out with some football players, and, and Brock Miller is one. He was about 320-pound offensive lineman, and all of a sudden, people started jumping on my car and I had dents. I had dents on the side previously, but then I had dents all on top and it was that the car was just kind of the, the, the laugh of campus because all they had dents all over the place, but it was a, uh, it was a good time and it was after a victory. So I was, I, I was fine with it, but um, you know, so many great memories, you know, at NC state, um, you know, there, there was times you'd go down, um, you know, to the fraternities afterwards and have a good time or, 
Uh, I always enjoyed going, going to class and talking to my professors and, and um, you know, things were a little different. You know, th this was before the internet and, um, you know, there was a little bit more back and forth with your, your uh, fellow students, mm -hmm. uh, your teachers, you know, it, it was kind of, you really felt a sense of being a part of a university. I know nowadays, you know, I think athletes are a little bit more isolated. Um, but back when I was playing, you really felt like you were, were part of the student body. And, and to me, that's something I think uh, the, the, the players nowadays, they, they're, they're missing out on. Uh, just the life experiences that, that that has to offer and the friendships that are made. And I, I know it's a different time, um, but now it seems like at all these different universities, they're kind of placed in a bubble. And they're over there, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of good that comes from that. But there are also some experiences they they miss out on is is really being a, a student down in the trenches with with everyone. Yeah, I can agree with that because you know, like when we were there, it was just college in, and all the football and basketball players and women's basketball were kind of all. For granted, there were students, some students there, but it was just kind of like almost our own little bubble. Exactly. That, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, some of the coaches could protect us and make sure. You know, we're getting a class and all that other stuff. So it does kind of protect you a little bit. So, all right. So if you were running a team, what are some of the main things or the important things that you would want out of them? Would it be defensive-minded? Maybe, you know, you want a free-flowing offense or maybe it's a structured offense. What are some key things that you would want if you were running the show? Wow, that's, that's a good question. I wish you would have given me this ahead of time. Um, you, you know, I think nowadays you've got to play fast in order to recruit at a high level. So on, on the offensive end, um, you know, I would like to play fast and I'd like to spread the floor, um, have shooters on the perimeter. Um, the defensive end, I, I, I would be very similar to Tony Bennett. You know, I believe that you've got to make – make teams beat you. You know, I, I wouldn't be a guy that chases, you know, all the way down the court. And, and I think you end up giving up a lot of uh, open shots and you end up fouling when you don't need to. I would love to play fast on the offensive end. And on the defensive end, I would want to kind of guard the three-point line. Um, you know, and, and you don't need to guard in, in this, in my, my system, you wouldn't guard at half court unless you were guarding somebody like Scott Wood, then you would, then you would pick him up. You know, he's in range anywhere. That's where you just guard the scouting report. Some, some guys, you just got to guard the scouting report. Maybe make them go left. Maybe make them shoot over the right shoulder. You know, that's just scouting report. So, yeah. um, I got a couple more questions for you. One, your son kind of gave me the idea. You can only pick one. What's the go-to restaurant on campus? Oof. On campus. So you, you, is there any of them or I got to pick one? You got to pick one. So you're going to make somebody mad. So you need to pick who, you know, will forgive you probably. You know, God, this, this is tough. This is tough because there's so many I love, but the one that I've, I've spent so much time is, is Clues Coney Island. Uh, love Dan, love the food. I've, I've spent a lot of money there, um, you know, but again, that's, that's uh, you know, a media's players retreat back when I was there, two guys. I mean, 
the list goes on. So I almost feel bad about that. But but Clues Coney Island's always been a special place. Now, if you want a great well, burger, can, can I can I put can I put you on the spot there too? I mean, this you know it's got to go both ways, right? So uh, <laughs> so we had the meeting at Clues for the very first time, and it was the first time I met Dan. Correct. And so it was absolutely fabulous. I wish I would have known about it. And it's probably embarrassing that I didn't know about it while I was there. So first I will say, if you want some great stories, go there, talk with Dan. Great guy. <laughs> I mean, I had, a, we had a blast with him. I mean, we were probably there maybe an hour max and just, he had some great stories. Great. Uh, what was it? Darius Rucker stories that he had. So I would definitely, promote that place with you so if i had to take a place for me and uh i would say sammy's sammy's okay so when when i first came here and i went on my unofficial visits then me and my family went to sammy's and then college inn which was you know right on the corner of avon ferry it was a quick walk away so i would always just head over there to get you know get something to eat so so medios kind of had to take you know the the car there, you know, uh, clues, obviously I could have walked, but I didn't know about it. Right. So. Uh, fair enough. That's good. Good choice. So Sammy's was there, but I can promise you that there are probably five or six restaurants that is probably not my money. Cause I didn't have any money at the time has taken my parents, <laughs> a ton of my parents money. So, <laughs> all right. So I got another tough one. Okay. You have a two on two game. You can pick one of your kids, so you can pick Chris, Tommy, or Hugo, possibly Annabelle, if you, if you want her. <laughs> Which one of your kids are you going to take? Who am I going to take? Wow, that's, that, that's putting me on the spot there. Um, that one I can't do. I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. That, that one, I, I love them all. They're all different players. Um, yeah, that, that, that'd be a tough one. So I'll, I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll take Annabelle. There you go. That's a smart choice. So, Annabelle doesn't want to shoot the ball. Now in my older age, I don't want to be a passer. I want to be a shooter. <laughs> and, and my three older, my, my three boys, they all want to shoot. So I, I will take Annabelle. All so right. Easy, easy way out. <laughs> That's fair enough. I mean, I, I understand. Because I if, if any of them happen to listen to this, they might, they might be a little upset. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, word travels, you know. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's it for my question. So we're, we're going to move to a couple questions that I got from Twitter, Facebook, the social medias, okay? And I've asked my wife, my sister-in-law, and a couple people for somebody to name the segment. So I haven't came up with, with anything good. So if anybody listens to the podcast and can come up with something cool for the segment <laughs> name, I'll, I'll adopt it and give you credit. So... The first question came from my Facebook, and her name is Lolita Briggs Tripp, okay? And she asked, what are the major differences evolved in Wolfpack basketball between the time you played and the time I played? Um, I think a lot has changed. You know, I think that the, uh, first of all, the, the athletes during your time are, are far greater. Um, you know, they're stronger, bigger. Um, you know, the, I, I just don't think there were great athletes playing back in the 80s like they are now. Um, also, the game has really become more of a perimeter game 
And I don't know if that's because of Golden State here in the last, you know, seven, eight years. Um, it, it, everything is, is spread out. You know, back when I was playing, there, there was more passing and cutting. And, and nowadays, it, it seems like everything's on the perimeter. And, and the athleticism and the strength of, of these players, I mean, even point guards. I mean, I was a six-foot point guard. You don't, you don't see many six-foot slow point guards anymore. You see Lorenzo Brown, 6'4 guys that play above the rim. So I just think the game from an athleticism has, has uh, changed dramatically. But see, I'll tell you this, with, for granted I didn't live, you know, during your time, but just seeing video and stuff, though there might be more athleticism from when I played, I feel like the physicality of when you guys played was much more physical. I feel like now um, – a lot of guys when they're screaming are kind of turning to the side. It's they don't really want the contact. And I feel like back then people were looking for that contact. Yeah, and I feel like that's I think, you, I think Scott, you also were able to get away with that. You know, mm -hmm. I think that nowadays if if someone does play physical, they they they, they get called for the foul, they might even get a whatever they call those flavorant one, flavorant two. Back in the 80s, 90s, again, I don't think they had an athleticism, but it was a tough grind it out, um, you know, no layups. You know, if you drove the lane, you were going to get hit. I remember throwing the ball to the wing and, you know, cutting through the middle of the lane against, say, like a 2-3. I mean, you were going to get checked a number of different times. So, yeah, I would agree with you. The physicality was, was really something back in the, in the 80s, 90s. Uh, but the athleticism, you know, I don't think was comparable. Yeah. All right. So we'll go to the next one, which came from Twitter. Uh, Brett Waters, BT Waters, 17. What's the one thing non-basketball related that you miss most from college? Um, you know, just the, the, being around the student body. You know, again, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. You know, I, I loved, you know, walking to class and, and being able to, uh, make friends and, and, you know, have, have people, you know, talk to you and, and then, you know, then meeting your professors and really having a bond. You know, I, I miss all that, you know, that was uh, non-basketball related, but, you know, some of my, some of my best friends were, were people that I just met, whether it was in class or walking to class, it was a, you know, a, a special feeling um, to have. And, and then, you know, as I got to know them, you know, them supporting me and supporting, um, you know, all of NC State Athletics together was, was special. And I, I, I'd second that. Mine, mine would be kind of a little different, and I think this kind of refers to the bubble that, you know, kind of my generation has kind of entered. The thing I miss most, which is hands down, was just being on campus, being able to support, you know, my other athletes, you know, always going to the football game, even the volleyball games. Uh, the baseball games. I really miss going to all the, the baseball games. Um, you know, I think that was kind of just being around all the student athletes, all the, the study halls were all together. So you get to know all the, the student athletes, just kind of seeing those was one of the things that I kind of really miss being able to, to go back and just watch, you know, friends and student athletes that, you know, a lot of them I don't, you know, keep in touch with as much as I would, would like to. So. Right. All right, so the next one came from Twitter as well. His name is Ben, and his, his at is Lawn Jesus. So if he knows something uh, 
that can keep my lawn green. I've got Bermuda sod <laughs> that is, is going dormant right now and I need to keep it. So if he listens, I need to know what I need to put on this to keep it going. So he asked, which is probably the best question you may get today. He says, are you sad they tore down Harrelson in the brickyard? Oh boy, that was a, that was an iconic place. You know, um, I actually had one class in there that I, that I actually did pass. So it was a special <laughs> place. I, I, I didn't pass a couple classes in there, but no, that, that was just a very unique building. And, and I remember when I was on my recruiting visit, they took me there because that's where when the 83 team won, they had all kinds of celebrations right there. So, um, you know, that was kind of the main place on campus that you, you always pass through there. Yeah. And when you were walking through Harrelson, you, you were going to see all kinds of people. And it was a kind of gathering spot. And, and when I heard years ago that they were going to tear that down, that, that was a sad moment because there were just memories there to, to have a number of classes there, but also kind of a meeting place for all the, the, the student body. Yeah. And I'll say that was the very first because we had to go to the summer school program. I took, it was a math class. It could have been calculus. It could have been pre-calculus. It could have been basic math. I really don't know. But I had math there, and it was the very first place that I kind of went to. And as soon as I got in the building, and you know how it went around? Yeah, all the way around. Yeah. I had no idea how to get there. I was like <laughs> 10 minutes late my very first day. Uh, and then when my wife told me uh, that they were taking it down, I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, that's, yeah. that's literally my first class. And I was like, I think we're going to start a petition that me and my wife are going to start that um, everybody that has, you know, in the last couple of years that goes on campus and sees how huge and how many upgrades they made, I think we should be able to go back and get at least two years of eligibility. There you go. Like, there's a, Sign me up. There, there's a target on Hillsboro now. I mean, they've got, they've got a huge uh, – top of the line library on Centennial. It's just, they got all these things added now that I didn't get a, you know, a Taco Bell cantina. They just got things that we didn't, we didn't get to have. They got, they got a target. There's a target right on campus. It's, it's insane, man, especially how big it's grown. But I appreciate you, you know, coming on. I know you've been busy. Um, I'd also like to thank you. You know, you've been a, not only a good friend for me, especially, you know, me transitioning from turning pro to, you know, the next steps in my life of, of actually starting a profession. Uh, you know, you kind of became my mentor and my point on this. So uh, I'd definitely like to thank you, Chris. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm sure we'll have you back on. And I, I appreciate everything you've done for NC State and, and for me as well. Well, Scott, it's a pleasure being on your show. Um, I've always kind of looked up to you uh, as a player, the way, the way you've handled yourself. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have an outstanding show here, and I look forward to watching it. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, to, to watching you grow as, as a father and a husband and, and a businessman in the community. And I know you're going to be, um, you know, right there with me at all the, uh, all the different sporting events, watching the Wolfpack and, and pulling them off. So For sure. You. For sure. I appreciate it. All right. This concludes Scott Woods' one-man Wolfpack. So I hope everybody enjoyed as much as we enjoyed being on here. Uh, hopefully we get something to you guys soon. I've got a, another big guest on the hook that hopefully I can get, get ready to, to have an interview with as well. So thank you, Chris, and uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Sounds good. Thanks, Scott. Take care. Bye.